The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, an online crime tracking initiative um, that is News 24's Crime Check recently releasing the top 10 police precincts where women were at the highest risks of becoming victims to gender violence. Uh, gender violence rather. Uh, activists have been challenging the list and point out that due to the low rates of reporting of gender-based violence, uh, crime data for uh, the period under review is simply not not true. Bronwyn Pithy is the advocate at the Women's Legal Centre. Joins me now. Bronwyn, good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. Thanks very much for having us, Cathy. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. We've always known that the figures that are reflected, especially if we look at our crime statistics on gender-based violence, are not a true reflection of the state of violence that women in this country face. When you look at the News 24 uh, crime check data, of course it gives us an idea of which areas are prevalent when it comes to violence against women. But of course you're saying it's not really a true reflection of the state of affairs. Yeah, I think first of all, I mean, I think it's only correct to commend, you know, any initiatives that try to get a better picture of crime generally in a country. Obviously, we're, we're a country that is beset with crime and people are understandably very preoccupied with it. So I think first of all, the initiative must be lauded. You know, I mean, there are a number of initiatives um, from various organizations and obviously the, 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 the government also collects stats. So we always need to have as best picture as we can around the incidence of violence generally. So I think that needs to be, you know, acknowledged. But the, the, the very peculiarity and particularity of violence against women or gender-based violence more broadly um, is very different to a lot of other crimes. You know, that probably, and I mean, I'm not the first one to say this, this is generally accepted that the only accurate way of assessing the levels of crime in any area is actually to look at the murder rate because mm-hmm. the murder rate is the one crime you can't hide. I mean, obviously there are some people, and without getting too grim about it, do hide the bodies. But generally murder is a very good indicator of violent crime in a particular area because you literally do have a body most of the time. Um, whereas other crimes are obviously totally dependent on the reporting of the crime. And as you very accurately pointed out in, in your introduction, the levels of reporting around gender-based violence and violence against women, whether it's sexual violence or domestic violence, mm. historically has been shown to be very underreported for a myriad of reasons. There are many, many reasons. There's no single reason why there's such high underreporting. So unfortunately, when you have a tool like this, which depends on the reporting of crimes, very often we get a skewed version or vision of where the actual kind of hotspots or where high incidents are really occurring. And I think that was one of the concerns that we had, particularly because the tool that was being used threw up evidence or threw up numbers that showed that there was very high reporting in some rural areas and then lower reporting in urban areas. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, the, the, the particularities of that dynamic is very interesting to kind of unpack a little bit. But, but, but the, the bottom line is that we don't really know how many cases are unreported. There is plenty of research that has shown that anything between 1 in 20, you know, 
only half of cases are reported, etc. You know, it's really difficult to tell. But the, the, the reality is that we don't have an accurate picture of how many cases are actually happening. Bronwyn, you know, when when we look at what has been previously um, said about gender-based violence is that, you know, this country has declared it um, the second biggest pandemic we're facing after COVID-19. And Mm. unfortunately, despite that, we don't seem to be making progress in alleviating the high levels of GBV. Why is that the case? What are we, what are we missing as South Africa when it comes to dealing with this problem? Yeah, you know, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, we're all asking that question, um, and, and again, I don't think there's a, a, a simple answer. There are there are so many groups, you know, obviously including organisations like the Women's Legal Centre that are addressing the effects of violence. Um, and there is really a, a very concerted effort and push by a number of organizations and by governments as well through the National Strategic Plan on, on gender-based violence and femicide to look at issues of prevention. First of all, and the only way you can really be successful in, in, in implementing prevention programs is to understand why the problem exists in the first place. So there really are some quite nuanced and in-depth pieces of research that have been done to look at why it is that we have such high levels of gender-based violence and violence against women. And, you know, without getting into too much detail, really, you know, there are so many factors and, and, and the, the kind of tropes that are reeled out without us, I think a lot of us not really understanding the nature and the depth of it. You know, we talk about patriarchy, we talk about a very violent society. Our, our society comes from an extremely, I don't have to tell you, has extremely um, violent past. You know, we have colonialism on top then of apartheid, on top of an incredibly patriarchal system within our country, which is very, very um, religious-based, culturally-based. All of those factors kind of come together as a perfect storm, which continues to subjugate women and place them in a position where they are unequal citizens, effectively, and, and, and that violence provides a real barrier to equality, which is obviously one of the, the constitutional rights that we adhere to and, and hold on to very strongly. That violence in and of itself has been shown to be a barrier to equality, which really means that the barrier exists to women to be full participants as citizens in, 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 in society. And, and that's one of our biggest concerns, obviously. As to the, the, the reasons... You know, too often we we have, even if we do understand the reasons behind why crime is committed or violence against women in particular is is committed so extensively, um, is that we are not responding to it probably as effectively as we can. And that's one of our kind of bugbears, as it were, is that, sure, the criminal justice system is not the only solution to the very, very high levels. But it is one tool we have. And if we have a criminal justice system that is just simply not responsive enough to the levels of cases, even when they are reported, um, we have a problem. Because an effective criminal justice system definitely operates as a deterrent, a very good deterrent. If people know that if you commit a crime, there will be good detection, there will be good investigation, there will be good prosecutions, and things will result in convictions, that's is a deterrent to people committing offences. But unfortunately, we have incredibly high 
rates of what we call attrition, particularly in sexual offences, where women who are brave enough to come forward and actually report their matters, the vast majority of those matters never see the inside of a courtroom. In fact, only about 10% of cases that are reported even get to trial. And then an even smaller percentage, at the moment we're sitting at something between 5 and 7% of a conviction rate of the number of sexual offences that are reported. So, you know, that message is known by women. Women know that to enter into the criminal justice system is like a whole extra massive hurdle to get through in order to achieve some kind of justice. So, you know, even if we look at the reported matters, the attrition rates are so high that I think to a large extent most women have lost faith in the system. And that probably is quite reflective in the very low reporting rates as well. And of very course, many yeah. women simply don't yeah. want to go through the process. Sorry, I've interrupted no, you no, there. No problem. I was saying that, of course, the other challenge is that once women do come forward uh, speaking about mm. their experiences um, where they have been violated, there still, to me, seems to be a great deal of stigma that is attached to mm. those that come out and speak about having been physically abused, having been raped. And, and that in and of, of itself could well be a contributor to why women keep quiet. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, unfortunately, society is still very um, quick to judge women who come forward. You know, I mean, they, you know, the good thing is that it's being exposed more and more in the media. And, and I think that the media is a very useful tool as well to educate, first of all, but also just to expose the very high levels. And the fact of the matter is that there is probably not a woman in this country who has not experienced some form of violence, you know, whether it's from being catcalled or hassled or sexually harassed on a street corner or, you know, to domestic violence within a home or a violent rape by a stranger. You know, it, it goes right through. It's a, it's a whole continuum. So most women have experienced it. Yet, um, on one hand, there is a, a message coming from organizations and governments saying, speak out, we must break the silence. Yet when they do, they are treated with suspicion. They are treated as if they are not telling the truth. Um, a lot of people assume that women have ulterior motives in terms of reporting or raising issues or just raising the fact that they have had some violation happening to them. So you're absolutely right. I think there's an incredible stigma still attached to it. Um, unless, of course, you know, there's a fair amount of sympathy that, he, sympathy that is given to women who fit into the kind of stereotype of rapes. You know, if, if, the, if, if the rape looks like it's by a stranger and there's violence and um, you know, there's no previous relationship between them or there's no alcohol or drugs involved. It's as soon as all of those other factors that don't fit into the stereotypical box or the, the, the you know, the, the box that is fueled by the myths around rape, um, that women really get a, a, a hard deal by being judged by others as to whether it was the real thing. And, and, and I think the system to a large extent places so much expectations on women to keep producing evidence which actually is to a large extent is not the reality of the violence that they are experiencing. Most violence is experienced between people who have known each other 
um, where there's previous history between them. And those cases are difficult to prove. Mm. And, and I think too often the criminal justice system shies away from, from cases that are difficult to prove. You, you know, Bronwyn, you're bringing me to my final point on, on this because you spoke earlier about looking at the murder rate as a good indicator of where the high, highest forms of violence are taking place. Mm. And when you look mm. at the murder rate, actually, um, and look at where murders are happening, it's mostly in people's homes. Um, which then points us to the fact that gender-based violence is happening in people's homes. How much more difficult does it make then to call out? And I mean, I think as long as we as South Africans are not willing to have honest conversations about what is Mm. happening in our homes, then we are going to struggle to uproot gender-based violence. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, um, the, the levels of interpersonal violence are, are really disturbing. And, I mean, I think that that was some of the analysis that was done um, with this particular tool that was being used is that it showed, as you say, that the majority of murders are happening between people who know each other. And, unfortunately, I think it's a psyche that, as South Africans, we've developed that as soon as there's any form of conflict, we resort to violence to resolve conflict. And conflict resolution must be done in a different way. And then added to that, the shame that is attached, I think, to women who are experiencing violence in their home is extreme. And very often, you know, if you speak to women who are trapped in domestic violence relationships, all they want is the violence to stop. They don't necessarily want their partners to go to jail. They don't want them removed. They're very often the breadwinners, so financially it becomes a burden if those men are not around anymore. They simply want, and I say simply because it's not that simple really, for the violence to stop. And if that were to be something that we could start unpacking in a very, very real way, and I think you're right, we've got to have conversations. Men have got to be talking to men about these things. And because, you know, the role models aren't there, and if the role models are not there, Boys are growing up in violent environments and they will continue to perpetuate that violence into the new generation. There's got to be a stopping point at some stage where we say this kind of this guy, you know, this kind of behaviour is not acceptable. Bronwyn, we're going to leave it there for this morning. Bronwyn Pithy, advocate at the Women's Legal Centre.